Yeah. We can see it. We can almost touch it. We can feel that it's about to happen. One more sleep, and then we've got NBA basketball back into our lives on TNT. Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga, joined by Ian Eagle in just a moment of Turner Sports. He's going to be on that broadcast for Jazz Pelicans with Stan Van Gundy, who's lighting it up on Twitter. You won't see Ian on that platform anytime soon, but he spent some time with me, and we went through the gambit of NBA conversation, including Boyan Bogdanovich, how that affects the team right now, the presentation of the game, and Zion Williamson. The Pelicans can have him available for that matchup tomorrow night. We'll see what he has for us. But the latest in ESPN for Malika Andrews concerns what the players are planning before that game. According to ESPN, it's going to involve the Black Lives Matter logo on the courts. That's at least the discussion as of Wednesday. We'll see exactly what they do on Thursday. But as we brought up with Taylor Rooks last time out on Ramball Roundup, you can listen to that interview wherever you got this podcast. These players are putting it on the forefront. And at least for the Jazz... Apparently, it's been Donovan Mitchell is one of the guys who is leading the charge in what this team will do. I want to give an opportunity to let you hear from the players and what they plan to elevate these voices and amplify these messages just from themselves. Well, you know, right now, I think, uh, obviously, Donovan is, is kind of spearheading a lot of it. But um, as a team, we've, you know, we've vowed to continue to, to be outspoken about it, continue to, to voice our opinions and um, whether that's through, you know, social media or wearing it on a T-shirt or um, some some kind of symbolism um, or actions that we may be doing. And I think each guy has their own niche and what they want to do and uh, how they want to approach things and, and what they want to give money to or whatever they want to fight for. So um, we're just continuing to encourage each other to, to you know, continue to be loud, continue to, to, to proudly um, um, show you know how much we are behind uh, uh, this cause and and all those people who are affected. Well, first off, I'd like to start off and just say you know guys have said it throughout the week, and I want to continue to to, to spread the message. Is we need justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, I think you know we all understand that you know she was killed in her own home. Like you know if there's a point where we can't feel safe in our own home, that's that's not right. You know, and I feel like with Daniel Cameron needs to do his job and arrest the killers uh, of Breonna Taylor. From my point of view, them knowing that I've got their back 100% through this, um, whichever whichever direction it's going, I'm going to have their back. And, and not just my team, the NBA, the WNBA, anyone that's that's in this, obviously there's a, a lot of people fighting for, for things right now. And um, like I said, being in a, I guess it's a bit of a unique situation, being a, a white Australian um, and not being from this country, you're, you're kind of learning on the fly. I've learned a lot over the last few weeks that, um, some I didn't know at all and some that I had a, a bit of an idea about but um, have kind of been brought up to speed a, a lot more. So, Joe Ingles wrapping up the sound there. Joe's going to be wearing Ally on the back of his shirt and you can read all the messages that the guys will be wearing on the back of their shirts online at utahjazz.com. Aaron Falk gave some reasoning for some of the messages. Rudy Gobert going to wear Equality because he wants his children to have equality. Yes, better than 100 years ago, but there are still moments to go and there are still 
rights to be had, voting rights, which has been huge in the league. You saw that with Doc Rivers and even LeBron's group that's heading up to make sure that access to the franchise can be made. The WNBA had so many powerful messages during their opening week and how they're going to continue to fight this fight. What will the NBA players do? The power will not give up the status quo just because you ask nicely. In the 60s, Martin Luther King, John Lewis, they were asking for rights. They didn't get them. They were still fighting those fights now. John Lewis was. And now the players are going to amplify that message as well. We'll see what they do on Thursday, and we'll recap it on Friday's show of Round Ball Roundup. As far as the seeding games, it's tomorrow. Jazz Pelicans. I will say, just before we get to Ian, these seeding games are more of finding exactly what's going to happen with the Jazz's lineup. We explained it last time out. The current starters haven't played more than 20 minutes together. That sample size of competitive basketball, it's small. And with no home court advantage up for grabs, it's just about matchups. If I'm looking at the standings right now, the Jazz sitting four would play the Thunder. That's one that I could see the Jazz advancing past the first round. Really, the only two teams that would give you pause are the Lakers and the Rockets. Rockets, because of history and the way that they play, how Russ was starting to really elevate his level of play before the pandemic stopped basketball. Otherwise, all those pairings are good news for the Jazz. They showed how competitive they were through those first couple scrimmages, how they responded after losing to the Suns. The results gone their right way. You saw Justin Wright Foreman late in the game being the number one option and getting an and one against Brooklyn. Playoffs will come down to matchups and who Utah goes up against. But before that, we've got these seeding games. And it starts on Thursday on TNT with Ian Eagle. We caught up over Zoom and started out by asking him what he's been up to over the last couple of months. No basketball in his life. You want you want everything? All right, let's go back. March 12th. Yes. You I were in believe, San Francisco, right? I was. I flew back. I had a hamburger for dinner. Let's get into the real intricacies. <laughs> no, it's it's been it's been different, JP. There's no doubt about it. I'm somebody that has certainly been on the move a lot for the last 25 plus years with a very detailed schedule and crossing over into different seasons and juggling a lot of balls in the air. So the last four months have been very much unlike anything I had experienced in my professional world. On a personal level, it's been pretty good to reset the battery and to exhale a bit and unexpected family time. But now it's it's back to business. I'm I'm excited. I'm eager to get this restart going. And I think NBA fans are are just chomping at the bit to see how all of this is going to play out. I heard on good authority you tried a goatee during this hiatus. <laughs> you have excellent sources, clearly. I, I tried, and I think it's a funny thing when you have a, a block of time off. We all dreamed of what we would do during that stretch, and, and I think we we convince ourselves of things that 
really are not realistic. So we say, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. I'm going to grow facial hair like you've never seen before. And the only reason I don't do it, the only reason I don't get in the best shape of my life is that I'm very busy. And the only reason I don't grow facial hair and do something creative is because, you know, I'm on television and I don't want to alarm the viewers. And then reality hits you when you have a situation like this, that I did not get in the best shape of my life. And the reason why I don't grow facial hair is because I'm not good at it. It has nothing to do with being too busy. I tried, I looked like a 1980s relief pitcher. It, it was not strong. There were empty patches. I needed a Sharpie to fill it in. And that was it. And I did unveil it to my family and they laughed, they mocked. There was mocking. From the ones that supposedly love you. I know. I know. You, you find out where you stand during moments like that. How did you approach preparing for a restart to the season? Because I know just from, from my perspective, we were off for so long. It, it was almost another off season. The, mm. the game stopped. And then now with the restart, I did dive back into, oh, that's right. This team was here when we ended uh, back in March. Where did you start your preparation? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's a tendency to begin to get your wires crossed where you think something happened recently and then you realize maybe that was early in the season or last season because your, your brain starts to, to get a little bit confused with exactly when everything laid out calendar-wise. Uh, for me... I literally went through all 22 teams that are a part of this, whether I'm scheduled to call their games or not, to try to get a bird's eye view. So went through all of my material that was pre-pandemic and have just found myself adding as I go along. I pick a team, I spend two, three hours on that team, adjusting, editing, changing, updating, and then I move on to the next team. And then that's just for the individual personal portion of the board. There's going to be a whole other area that I'll have to attack on my individual matchups with just getting familiar with how the respective season went for each team and trying to get up to speed best as possible so that we can present the most up-to-date storylines and narratives that pertain to the team now, as opposed to going all the way back and, and starting over, you've got to be updated. So uh, for me, it's been pretty comprehensive already. And I can see with each matchup that I'm assigned, I'm going to have to get into the nitty gritty. Did it take you a moment to get the, your brain back into the groove of I'm checking ESPN, I'm checking CBS, I'm checking Fox Sports, I'm checking all these sources so that I can be ready for these games. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when you're in the throes of the season, you create a routine, you create a regimen. And when you're outside of it, a lot of that goes by the wayside because uh, you've turned that part of your brain off. And I know that just from 
the way my summers have gone in, I'd say the last five years, where I've really tried to pull back and create a little more balance in my life. And I will shut it down now, as opposed to the first 20 or so years of my career where I just had to be all in 12 months a year. And just for my own uh, mental sake of trying to create a little bit more balance in my life, I have pulled back. But to ramp it back up as quickly as we have, to be honest, it's been exciting. It's, it's one of those things that uh, I always knew how much it meant to me. I always understood what role sports played in my life, not only making a living, but fulfilling a, a passion. But I think what we learned during this quarantine is that uh, it, it also helps your, your day-to-day mental health. It gives you something to occupy your time and something that you really care about. So that part of it has been equally as satisfying to, to get back in and, and rediscover all the, the reasons why I enjoy covering the NBA. Well, I'm surprised that you can do it without Twitter. Your, uh, your colleague, Stan Van Gundy, is, he's now the real SVG yeah. on Twitter. On fire. Completely throwing bombs everything that he's opining on how much have you been able to glean from Stan because this is a new pairing of you two on on Turner from his personality and making sure that shines when it comes to bringing him on the broadcast yeah JP with all the the different analysts I've worked with over the course of my career my my one goal, my one objective with each of those relationships is to get the most out of that person that I'm sitting next to. Because if they do well, then we do well. That's the way I've always viewed it. It was something that I adopted very early in my career, and I've maintained that philosophy. Stan was no different, but it was an arranged marriage. It's, it's not a situation where you get to pick your partners. So Stan and I knew each other in passing at best. A couple of interviews when he was a head coach prior to a playoff game. Uh, I admired him from afar. I think he knew my work, knew of my work, but admittedly was not into the whole broadcasting thing. He was a basketball coach. He was a basketball decision maker. He was a basketball lifer. So we get paired together. We speak on the phone prior to our first game for about an hour and just talk generally about basketball, about broadcasting, and even just a little bit about life, about background and family. And then our first game is San Antonio at LA against the Lakers. I had to fly in that morning because I had a game the night before. So we didn't have dinner the night before. I got there right at the end of the production meeting after taking a six hour flight from the East Coast. And JP within five minutes of sitting down with Stan, I knew it was gonna work. Five minutes in, I knew. I could tell by his engagement level. I could tell by his personality. 
by his sense of humor, by his curiosity, and the fact that he was clearly a good teammate. His concern was making sure that he fit in, not the other way around. Is everybody going to be able to adapt to me? That was not his viewpoint. Once I assured him that I felt very confident that it was going to go well, and I didn't, I didn't sit down with him and go through the minutia of the broadcast. We, we just spoke like two human beings. And then about three minutes before air, we sat down and I turned to him and I said, uh, you okay? You good? He said, well, I'm a little nervous about this. I said, no, 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 no. No reason to be nervous. Everything we've been doing the last two hours, we spent two hours together from getting picked up at the hotel, brought to the game, in the green room, talking to coaches, BSing back and forth. I said, everything we've done for the last two hours is what we're going to do on the air, except the game is going on in front of us. It's going to be a conversation. And I think that put him at ease. He smiled. And then about five minutes into doing the game, he turned to me during a break and said, this is great. And that's how it's supposed to be. So uh, in my mind, we hit the ground running because his mindset was the same as mindset, my mindset, which was what's best for the viewer? How do we continue to keep the banter lively and take what we're doing off the air and translate it to the on-air product? And ultimately, that's what this whole thing is about, in my mind. It's supposed to be conversational. It's supposed to be two people talking basketball and an audience that feels like they're sharing in the conversation. And that's what we've tried to do without even saying it to one another. Uh, there's just been an understanding. Well, and he's such a great modern analyst because he's so adept with the analytics yep. that have been so prevalent in this sport as of late. Talked about this with Craig Bullerjack last week. He saw the game going that way and, and some broadcasters adjust, some see it and, and want to go out a little bit early, like Hot Rod Hundley, who preceded yep. him on the, on the television broadcast. How have you seen numbers jump into the fray of broadcasts and how analysts like Stan are, are willing to, to use them? Yeah, I think ultimately, as long as the audience knows what you're talking about, if you can put it in terms that are digestible, and if you can provide context, then any of this can be an asset. The hard part is when you're using numbers and there's no baseline for them. So if you're just assuming that everybody knows what you're talking about because you're into it, then you're making a big leap of faith with your audience. Stan has the ability to describe what it is he's saying and why it's important. So he's just not tossing out coach speak. And as we know in broadcasting, if you're talking a different language, it might sound great, but if the fan doesn't have any idea what you're saying, eventually they're going to tune out and uh, they're going to say, this isn't for me. Stan has that, that talent and that skill of putting it and forming it in a way that's understandable. And to me, that's what this is supposed to be. If, if you can add to a broadcast and bring something different to the table, you just have to make sure the audience is along for the ride with you 
and not fighting you because they don't know what it is you're trying to say. What are some of the elements that fans can expect from Thursday night's broadcast when you guys are back on the air for Jazz Pelicans? Well, I think the curiosity that's been out there has been answered just a bit with the scrimmage games from the NBA, how it's going to look, how it's going to sound, how it's going to feel. All of that was very much a mystery. And at least for now, I think NBA fans have come to an understanding of, oh, wow, this is going to be really good. This is going to be presented in a way that's pleasing to the eye. And the sound part is going to be the, the part of the equation that, that I think will be ever-changing and evolving. Uh, the fact that there is crowd noise involved, the fact that game day operations is taking place, you're going to hear sound effects, you're going to hear music that you would hear at a jazz home game or a Pelican home game. All of that is going to be part of the soundtrack with the idea that it is putting fans at ease, that this sounds and feels like the game that they're accustomed to. The hard part for me when all of the leagues were making determinations as to how they wanted to handle this, you don't want to mislead the audience. That's very important. Accuracy is what we do. You're still reporting in the role as a play-by-play announcer. It might not be in the traditional sense, but you are reporting what you see and what you hear. And when there are things that are considered artificial, that's where this gray area occurs. So in terms of enhancements, certainly better camera angles, things that you haven't seen before, up close and personal. Audio-wise, I'm curious. I don't know yet how all of that is going to play out, how much we will really hear of the banter between a player and a coach and an official from the early indications, not much. There is a channel that may be provided once the seating games start where you could get more of the natural sound. And I think each network national and regional will have to make some, some pretty big decisions as to how they want to handle that because there would have to be a delay involved and somebody would have to, be in charge of that button at any moment and a seven second delay which in radio is not that big a deal you're driving in your car you don't even know what happens on television it's different because now it has to connect with the pictures and if your commentary is delayed and slowly getting back after an expletive is hurled uh, that could be disorienting for the viewer so very interested to see how uh, different networks are going to handle that Uh, But as far as the early reports, JP, it pops. The court really stands out. The lighting stands out. And it should be of no surprise. I've been associated with the NBA now for 26 years as a play-by-play announcer. I did some work for the NBA prior as a voiceover guy for some of their programming. This is what they do. They put on events. They might be the best in the world at putting on events in this format. So I can't say that I'm shocked that they've put this together quickly and they've done it in a way that is going to stand out and pop when opening night gets underway with uh, Utah and New Orleans.
It's been a master class in, in planning, that's for sure. Let's look at that game. What stands out with the Jazz when you were preparing for this restart? Well, I, I think everybody is just very curious about their chemistry. And I know that continues to be a storyline, and, and rightfully so, uh, because of the issues pre-pandemic in regards to Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and the team as a whole. And it's not just Utah, by the way, J, JP. It's, it's everybody. How these teams handle their business in this very unique setting is going to go a long way in figuring out which team has the right stuff to win an NBA championship. It's not just physical, it's mental. And it is about unity and uh, this sense of purpose and putting everything aside, which is hard to do. Life goes on as we've learned with a number of the players that have been forced to leave the NBA campus. Just because this is the setup down in Orlando doesn't mean that their individual lives aren't happening. And that means family, and that means friends, and that means sometimes drama. This is real life. You can't, you can't write a script and, and say, hey, look, for the next uh, two and a half months, uh, whoever's involved in my life, I, I need you to just, uh, just stop what you're doing because I'm playing in a bubble. It doesn't work that way. So not just Utah, but every team, how they handle this, how the coaching staff handles it, you know, the Bogdanovich loss is big in my mind. Uh, he, he was just such a steady influence for them and so dependable. Obviously, I got to see him a lot as the voice of the Brooklyn Nets, and I know what he's all about. And I, I think it's a big hit. Doesn't mean that they don't have players that can step in and, and get it done, but it's a piece of the puzzle that's now out of the mix. And let's see how everything comes together. You know, Jordan Clarkson is a player that, that I've respected a lot from afar, maybe because he's just crushed the Nets, no matter what uniform he's worn. He's always hurt the Nets, and that's an interesting thing that happens. If you see a player burn the team you cover over and over again, your opinion of that player inflates tenfold. Uh, but I, I, I'm really interested to see how the Jazz fare, because they could get as high as two, they could drop as low as seven. How does Quinn Snyder handle these seeding games? And not just Coach Snyder, but every coach prioritizing what's important, getting your guys the right amount of minutes, or is it conserving for the playoffs? Rotations, are you tinkering at this point? Are you trying to win these games all out? Home court advantage is not an issue anymore. So is it a matter of who you're matching up with? I remember when Jason Kidd was the head coach of the Nets, they didn't come out and say it. They didn't come out and acknowledge it. But behind the scenes, there was a sense that they were interested in playing a certain team in the first round. And their results towards the end of the regular season, to me, backed up the idea that they wanted to play the Toronto Raptors. And that's who they drew. And they beat them. So there is something to be said for coaches' viewpoints of who the best matchup would be and whether or not, I don't know if you want to use the word manipulate, but maybe the way you handle your game-to-game -game strategy could differ based on how the result might affect the team that you play in the postseason. 
we saw the dark arts last season with Denver manipulating their mm-hmm. playoff matchup to the detriment of what Utah did eventually uh, last season. You mentioned Boyan, and and we talked about Boyan uh, last time you were here in Utah, how well he integrated into the system. Were you surprised by his first-year inclusion and really being a stud uh, signing for Justin Zanuck in the offseason? Not surprised. Obviously, the numbers are through the roof, and I thought he was very good in Indiana as well. Uh, They just didn't want to pay the money. Boyan gets four years, $73 million to sign on with the Jazz. Would I have predicted that back in his next days? Probably not. Good role player. I thought he was fearless in how he approached the game. Yeah, there were times where he settled a bit in my mind and wasn't as aggressive as I've seen now with Indiana. And with Utah, that might, might have been coaching, may not have been Boyan, just might have been his way of uh, trying to carry out the role that they asked of him. Also, it was his introduction to the NBA. Now he's a six-year veteran, and he's 31 years old. And there's a confidence there that I thought could be a hallmark in his career. You know, it's interesting. He was very stoic with Brooklyn. And I, I don't know if I would describe him like that anymore, whether that's just because he got paid or the validation of the idea that he belongs. But I see someone who is more outward. A- am I wrong, JP, or not? I have a full folder of Boyan reactions, just yeah. yelling and, yes. and fist pumps. He, he's, yeah. he's very emotive. That was not the case in Brooklyn. He was to himself. Uh, he did not emote at that level. And look, a, a lot of that could do with many factors. Uh, language barrier when he got to Brooklyn. Uh, culture shock after being a star overseas and not being a star with the Nets. And just general feeling out process of where he fits into the NBA. Uh, to me, He's, he's been a really terrific story, and it's a shame that we're not going to get a chance to see him in this restart and in this NBA postseason. Again, you're not on Twitter, but if you followed at Utah Jazz, you would see a lot of, <laughs> a lot of Boyan Bogdanovich yes. going crazy. Yes, you say I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. You're not active. Account. I, I do have a role on Twitter with a burner account. So I'm aware of what's happening. I'm just not making my presence known. I wonder if any other Nets have that going. Uh, <laughs> looking at, at Zion, what has wowed you by that rookie and, and what the Pelicans are doing this year? Well, first of all, the pronunciation, because I've gone over this in my brain now multiple times, and I've gone online trying to get to the bottom of it. He actually pronounces his name Zion, like you said. But in an interview with Jay Billis, when he was still at Duke, he asked him about the pronunciation of his name. And he said, well, it's Zion, but I like when the announcer says Zion. It just makes me sound more powerful. So I have a decision to make on Thursday night. Am I going Zion or am I going Zion? 
he tends to like Zion and I want to make him happy. So it could be Zion for Thursday night. This could come up on the broadcast as well. I might be giving you a preview of something that's swimming around my head with Stan Van Gundy. Uh, what's impressed me is his sheer athleticism, his brute strength, when healthy, his nimble way. He's very agile. He's very light on his feet. Look, you heard the same things that I heard coming into his rookie season. Would he be able to carry all of that weight? Right out of the gate, he's got an injury, so we didn't get to find out. In the 19 games that he played for New Orleans, I walked away even more impressed than I was at the player who went number one overall, who blew me away as a collegiate player. I just saw a more well-rounded game, and I see a player that can play positionless basketball. You want to put a number on him? You want to say he's a four? He's a, don't. He's not any of those things. He's his own entity. And the fact that they now have so much flexibility, they did create chemistry with him there in short order. And I saw a lot of things working well for New Orleans. Look, this is a team that could easily make the playoffs. If I'm Memphis, I am concerned. Pelicans at full strength. I like the way they're built. I think David Griffin did a tremendous job to make them credible. And the fact that they have Zion or Zion potentially coming back for the opener, it does add excitement to the NBA. It does bring an electricity to the game. I've said this before in my 26 years of doing the NBA, the three players that I can say without a shadow of a doubt, when you walked into the arena the night you were calling one of their games, it felt different. And that was Jordan. Kobe, and LeBron. Those three players. That's not taking anything away from some great players around the NBA. Jason Kidd, I had a front row seat. He was incredible with the New Jersey Nets. James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you name it. Donovan Mitchell, special. This guy has a chance to maybe join that category that when you're getting ready to call the game, when you're getting ready to go to a game once fans are one day allowed back into the arena, that there's a different vibe when he's playing. And that's saying something. That means that you have a chance to be a generational player. I think he's got a shot. He's gifted, really gifted. You're going to be alone with your thoughts in Orlando. Will we see you try a condiment? <laughs> no, no. If I, it's not going to happen. If I were to ever break my streak, I don't think it would happen in the bubble. Okay. That, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I would have to be out in the open. Uh, I could not be contained. I would have to be able to share it with America. No, no condiments, no salad. Uh, trust me, eating is, is going to be a little bit of a challenge right now. I'm limited in, in what I'm allowed to do. I have never used Uber Eats. I think that streak will come to an end. There, there will be an Uber Eats in my future. Okay. At least Probably tonight. At least you're trying new things out there in the campus. At I am. Disney. I'm working. I'm working on myself, JP. I'm, I'm just... I'm trying to get out of uh, this experience, something that I can grab hold of for the rest of my life. 
We're all practicing self-care. He mm. is the voice for Turner Sports. You'll catch him on Thursday at 4.30 Mountain Time. Hi, and Eagle. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right, JP. Great talking. <laughs>